This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hey listeners of the Heartland Daily Podcast. On today's episode, we have James Taylor, the president of the Heartland Institute, testifying in the Ohio legislature to push back against big tech censorship and defend free speech. James begins by explaining why big tech censorship is a threat to the unalienable rights granted by the founding fathers, and then takes questions from policymakers from both sides of the aisle. It's really interesting. Check this one out. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, members of the committee. My name is James Taylor. I am president of the Heartland Institute. The Heartland Institute is a nonprofit, nonpartisan public policy organization, and our mission is to discover, develop, and promote freedom-oriented solutions to the problems that confront our society. The reason I'm here is that uh, the Heartland Institute uh, believes very strongly that our rights, our freedoms, are under severe threat. Downstairs in the lobby of this Capitol building, the Declaration of Independence, the words are posted in the lobby, as well it should be, states that all men are created equal. It states that we have certain unalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Freedom of speech would certainly be one as well. And the Declaration of Independence states that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. That tells us that our rights, our free speech rights, were not given to us by government. They pre-exist the formation of government. Government was instituted to secure these unalienable rights, including freedom of speech. In today's society, however, those rights are facing severe threat. There are three corporations that between the three control 97% of social media activity here in the country. One company alone controls 75%. Social media today is how Americans communicate with each other. This is how we share ideas. It's the primary venue for doing so. Now, three companies controlling 97% of a market in and of itself isn't problematic. Generally, companies attain great market share because they deliver a service that's valuable and they do it well. However, If you have market dominance, if you control 97% of the venue by which people communicate, and you use that market dominance to suppress and trample our pre-existing unalienable free speech rights, then that is something that deserves protection. Again, the Declaration of Independence tells us this is the reason why governments are instituted among men. There is no doubt that these market-dominant few companies are restricting speech, and more so, they're acting as the enforcement arm for government speech, which makes the problem even more dastardly. The White House press secretary has acknowledged and admitted that the White House communicates with these companies and tells them what they would like to have censored and taken down off the internet. Facebook admits that it has itself removed more than 18 million posts that contradict CDC narratives 
regarding COVID. That's just regarding CDC narratives and COVID. Also, these companies have censored and blocked information that counters what the World Health Organization dictates. Also, these organizations have censored, blocked, and removed information that questions the United Nations messaging on climate change. It's one thing if these companies are restricting speech that is violent, that is sexually obscene. Indeed, federal law gives them the right to do that. It's another thing to tell Americans that we cannot share ideas with each other. And that's exactly what's happening today. It's very important that states step into the gap. The state of Ohio steps into the gap and protects its citizens so that people in Ohio can communicate with each other, whether it's a political issue, whether it's a science issue, whether it's a cultural issue. Again, these are our unalienable rights. And this is the venue by which people communicate today. Big tech will sometimes make some counter arguments that I'd like to address here for you to keep in mind. I've heard them say in state legislatures around the country, as other state legislatures have considered this, uh, this topic, they say that we shouldn't be regulating. We shouldn't have more regulation. And yet, if you watch television, you've probably seen their own commercials in which they sit down a couple of uh, non-threatening looking young people that talk about how they sure would like to be regulated and, have a, and be told what they should be doing in this environment. If they come here and tell you that regulation is not the answer, they're contradicting themselves. Also, protecting free speech is not regulation. Outlawing crime is not regulation. Protecting our rights is not regulation. But again, they themselves say they want to be regulated. They will come and say that they have free speech rights as well, and that if we do not allow them to suppress other people's free speech, that we're suppressing theirs. Listen, I may not like what my neighbor says on a number of topics. I don't have the right to cut his telephone line if I don't like what he's saying. I don't have the right to put a gag in his mouth. I don't have a free speech right to do that. They have the free speech right to say whatever they want on their platform, outside their platforms, but shutting down someone else's free speech is not free speech. They will say that they have a market interest, that we shouldn't interfere with markets and the rights of businesses. And that's a principle we at the Heartland Institute, as a rule, believe in. However, if you take your business interest and use it to shut down unalienable rights, you've crossed a line. If I form a company to break into people's homes and steal their televisions, steal what's in their safe, et cetera, the fact that I'm a company doesn't mean I get to do that. And if there's a law against that, that doesn't mean we're interfering with free markets. We're protecting rights. One final note, um, the advocates for, for big tech will point out that there have been two states, Florida and Texas, that have passed legislation on this topic safeguarding online free speech. And they will say, look, it's been struck down. You're not only wasting your time, you're passing legislation or considering legislation that's unlawful. I would advise you to keep in mind that the two judges, the two district court judges who struck them down, one was appointed by Bill Clinton, the other by Barack Obama. And they have a long history of decisions that are quite predictable based upon who they're appointed by. Um, I can tell you that in the federal appellate courts, and if it makes it to the Supreme Court, uh, those decisions will be reviewed, and I would be very surprised if they stand. Um, so the fact that two, two uh, laws have been 
struck down by two particular judges that they got a very fortunate draw on for which judges heard their case does not make that controlling. In conclusion, I'd just like to uh, remind you that your constituents throughout the state, they've been crying out for help throughout Ohio, throughout the country. If you're paying attention to social media, if not even social media, but just the regular media, people expect that in the primary venue for communicating with their friends, with their family, with their neighbors, that they won't have their speech shut down on the basis of their political views or cultural views. So I hope that the uh, citizens of Ohio, their voices will be heard. And uh, I urge this body uh, to stand up and protect the free speech of your constituents. So thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to share these comments. I hope they're helpful. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you, sir. Are there any questions for the witness? Uh, Representative Stewart. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks for your, your testimony today. Um, you've obviously, I think, looked at this issue across the country, familiar with kind of what's brought us here today. Out of curiosity in your research, have you, well, I'll, I'll lay the groundwork a little further. Obviously, the immediate past president of the United States is banned from Twitter. Um, there have been a number of other uh, elected officials who've had their accounts either suspended permanently or, or temporarily. Anecdotally, I, I tend to see, I, I tend to hear about that when they're Republicans, but for, for sake of the, the fullness of the record, have you come across any instances in which Twitter or Facebook have suspended or permanently banned a Democrat elected official? Well, thank you for the question, uh, Mr. Chairman, members of the committee. I have not come across that. It's not something I have researched diligently or in depth, but I think your question points out, I, 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 would, I think and I would hope that if it was Democrats, if it was a particular ideology that supported large government and government solutions, we support freedom and individual solutions. But even so, I would hope and think that I and others would be standing up against suppression of that as well. Uh, but it seems to be, as best as I can tell, uh, people, and I really don't even like to put a party label on it, but a viewpoint, uh, anything that's against uh, large state control, uh, abiding by, whether it's the ever-shifting CDC narratives, if you question them, you get banned. If you question the World Health Organization, uh, you get banned. Um, but that, yeah, it seems to be, as best I can tell, from one side. But even if it weren't, I, I, I hope and I think I would be just as stridently in favor of free speech. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, so, so speaking to a little more of the law of this, I guess. The, and I take the point and appreciate you know, your perspective that you know, who, who's to say that another district judge doesn't you know, interpret these other state statutes a different way, and, and, and that may be the case. But um, we have a supremacy clause of the federal constitution that generally says you know, federal law takes precedence over competing state laws. So, so how, in your view, does that interplay with the bill we have here today, which I think, you know, even if I support it, probably probably is in conflict with Section 230 as it exists today. Well, thank you for your question, and I'm glad that you raised that point because 
Um, I, I think that many people misunderstand and misinterpret Section 230 of the Federal uh, Communications Decency Act. Again, the name of the law is the Communications Decency Act. Uh, the provisions that apply are explicitly referencing uh, either indecent or sexual, indecent being sexually obscene or excessively violent behavior. So if you look at uh, the statute itself, throughout the statute, throughout the federal uh, section 230, the explicit point of the statute, the findings are that if there were to be unfettered excessive violence and sexual obscenity on the internet, that would be harmful. And internet platforms uh, do have a role and Congress affirms a right to restrict that. There are several examples given, specific examples, for what type of activity this act, Section 230, is designed to apply to. And all of those examples are either violent, sexually obscene, or personal harassment. There is a single clause in a single section of Section 230 as it lists, as the statute lists, those various things that, that can be censored that says, or otherwise objectionable. But it's, again, at the end of a list where all of the examples are excessive violence or sexual obscenity. The titles of the sections and subsections refer to excessive violence or sexual obscenity. And the law itself is the Communications Decency Act. That provision is a good shepherd provision. That's the explicit quote, good shepherd provision. Censoring people based upon political views does not fit within the title of the act, the title of the subsections of the act, the explicit examples given. So for those who say that Section 230 gives big tech a blank check to censor anything they want, anytime, anywhere, it renders the entire verbiage of that Section 230 irrelevant and uh, just unnecessary. You'd have to read that statute to say Congress just went off on some tangent for no reason for many sections and subsections because really they just want to say you can, you can block anything. And that I think that uh, I think an open-minded court that's reading the statute fairly, I think is going to find that. Uh, Representative Seitz. Thank you, Cha uh, Chairman, and welcome Mr. Taylor back to Ohio. Good uh, to see you again. A wonderful, a wonderful witness on energy issues all over the, over the years. Uh, nothing would make me happier than to pass this bill but I do have a few questions because I've talked to um, the trade association folks that represent the big tech companies. The, the first argument that they make is that enacting this bill and imposing these requirements on private actors would violate the First Amendment because it would compel speech and we are no more entitled to censor speech than we are to compel speech because they would be forced to publish or print or put out on the internet things that they disagree with. So what would be your response to the First Amendment argument that they make that this would be an example of compelled speech? Thank you for the question, uh, Representative Seitz. If you were to, if you were to have a pre-existing market and entity, which we have, for social platforms. The purpose of social platforms is for people to communicate with each other. It's not like a newspaper 
where newspapers can have a particular editorial slant, and that's accepted. Where they are the ones who control the material, they're the ones who produce it, people expect it. Social media existed before Facebook existed. They like to point out MySpace or whatever else is before them, yes. If you have a few companies who take over the equivalent of the town square and then shut it down, that is impermissible. They are not being compelled to say anything. What they're being told is, if you take over the 21st century town square, you can't shut down speech or direct it towards your ends. They have the right to speech. They can say whatever they want, wherever they want. They could say it on their own. I would say that they can even post their little tags that say, you should look at this site or this you know, may be subject to misinformation, but allow the speech. They're not being compelled to make any particular argument, but they're saying that you cannot shut down the primary venue by which Americans speak. I can't shut down my neighbor's speech. I don't have a free speech right to do it, neither do they. Mr. Chairman, uh, thank you, Mr. Taylor, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, my understanding is that the bill before us uh, finds that the large interactive platforms function as common carriers, uh, and I understand that's an important distinction, but the bill does not make them common carriers. Wouldn't we be better off if we affirmatively not only found that they function like common carriers, but in fact declare them to be common carriers with all of the other obligations imposed on common carriers? Because it's my understanding that the federal government has declined to find that these platforms are common carriers and differentiated between the internet social platform and the airwaves, broadcast and radio airwaves, which uh, does allow federal regulation uh, under red line broadcasting and other such cases. So, so if the key to this, the validity of this state law is a, is a, uh, a finding that these folks function as common carriers, why, why don't we just uh, take the Band-Aid off and declare them affirmatively to be common carriers isn't that a salient distinction that, that, that we could not make that choice under federal law as I understand it, but we can make it under state law. Is that, am I right, or, or how would you respond to that? Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative Seitz, thank you for the question. I believe that recognizing that uh, social media platforms function as common carriers is wise, and I think it's appropriate. Justice Clarence Thomas has mentioned that uh, during uh, remarks that he has made in opinion, not a, on this topic. I don't believe that it's necessary to declare social media platforms, internet service providers as common carriers for the legislation to be valid, legal, and applicable, but I do agree that uh, there is uh, definitely uh, some advantage to doing so. Um, I'll also note that as, as your question calls to mind Justice Thomas's remarks that, uh, that he speculates that uh, social media platforms serve as common carriers. Uh, getting back to a, to a prior point about the, uh, the economics uh, and the property rights that are asserted by big tech, 
uh, Ron Paul, you don't get much more libertarian in defending of individual and, and uh, economic rights than Ron Paul, has also been a vocal proponent of legislation protecting online free speech rights. Mr. Chairman, thank you, Mr. Chairman, thank you, Mr. Taylor. La last one, just for clarity purposes, I had mentioned in my previous question <clears throat> my understanding that there's some sort of federal precedent which has declared that, the, uh, apart from Section 230, by the way, which has declared that the Internet is not subject to regulation in the same sense that the broadcast airwaves of television and the radio airwaves of radio are subject to FCC regulation. Am I, am I right about that? And, and, and was that a Supreme Court uh, case of some kind, or, or was that a federal statute of some kind, if you know? Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative Seitz, thank you for the question. Uh, I have not looked into that particular question in depth, uh, but what you present certainly strikes me as uh, quite likely to be the case. But I would like to point out, again, that protecting unalienable free speech rights, I don't think that really fits the definition of regulation. It's protecting our rights any more than laws against burglary or murder or regulation. Now, there are circumstances in which legislation can be written that would qualify as regulation, but I believe that if the heart of the, of the bill, and I believe the heart of this bill is, simply uh, protecting and preserving online free speech, just saying, look, you can't censor what people say. I, I, I don't see that as regulation. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, Mr. Taylor, for taking the time to be here today. You know, it's a compelling argument, and I think as many conservatives um, believe, it's a compelling argument for a business to say, I'm a private business and I can do what they want to do. But through this pandemic, we have seen the government exhort enormous control over private businesses. Here in Ohio and other places, we have businesses that are just completely shut down. You can't operate. So I think there's some skepticism in our country uh, that when social media platforms say, oh, it's our decision to shut down a political opponent. It's our decision to censor. Is it really their decision? Or is a federal government potentially a federal government, have the ability to intimidate, coerce, to encourage a private business to operate in conjunction with the government for government purpose? Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for the question. Uh, and that's a, a very insightful question. And it calls to mind, as I mentioned earlier, where you have the White House openly stating it is flagging for Facebook and other social media questions, content that they want taken down. And the social media companies themselves brag about taking down content, and they say, we will take down content that, is, that contradicts the Centers for Disease Control, the government. You have government taking away our free speech rights, the two of them acting together. Even if they didn't act together, though, again, we have pre-existing rights the right to free speech as our Declaration of Independence states, as the Ohio Constitution states. There's a, a nice quote right next to the Declaration of Independence, again affirming the same thing, that Ohioans have the right to life and liberty and freedom. I believe, like you do, that government should be quite limited. I believe that we should have as much freedom as possible, and usually when government gets involved in something, it comes at the expense of freedom. 
But that being the case, and within that context, again, there is a reason why governments are instituted among men. It says so right in the Declaration of Independence, and it is to preserve our pre-existing rights, which especially includes freedom of speech. So I share that skepticism, and I, and I believe we should be looking closely uh, when government gets involved, but this is one of those topics that uh, the Ohio State government, I think state governments throughout the country, hopefully someday uh, the Congress, will step up to protect our free speech rights, which are unalienable. Representative Crossman. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you to the witness. You know, I'm trying to reconcile your uh, position here uh, with respect to limited government and your, advocate, your advocacy on behalf of the government taking over a private enterprise. I think we would all acknowledge that Facebook is a Facebook or Twitter, whichever one you want to prefer. Um, love it or hate it is a private property, is it not? Well, thank you for the question, uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative. Um, I, I'm glad that you have that, uh, that probing uh, inquiry about taking over enterprise. I believe that telling someone that you can't take away someone's unalienable free speech isn't taking over that company or that industry. I don't believe that our unalienable rights are subject to corporate capture. At the Heartland Institute, we believe in freedom-oriented solutions to the problems that conf confront society. And I can tell you that in many cases on many issues, we have sided with these very big tech companies when government has interfered uh, for things that should be left to free markets. But our unalienable rights are not subject to corporate capture. We're not telling them how they should compete against each other to gain market share. We're not telling them how they should uh, operate their businesses other than to say you cannot take away people's unalienable rights. The Declaration of Independence makes clear that it's not just government that's a threat. Indeed, threats to those rights preceded governments uh, coming into existence. And so I, I, I'm glad that that's something that you look at closely. I look at it closely, too. It took me a long time to come to the position I have because I side naturally with government staying out of things. But again, just like, just like a company can't form to invade people's homes and take their possessions, companies can't form to take away our free speech rights, I don't believe. Thank you. Oh, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. I mean, what you're describing is essentially an anti, is a monopoly situation, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, that Facebook has this platform that really, there's no really other competing platform, maybe Twitter, uh, but between the two, there's really no competition in terms of uh, social media communication. So why not utilize some of the existing antitrust legislation on the books, whether at the state level or the federal level, there's plenty of law and authority there that would enable an enterprising person to file suit and try and break up some of these social media companies to uh, establish some competition and then perhaps, uh, you know, you would have, uh, you know, uh, the open marketplace that we're all concerned about. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Representative, thank you for the question. That is an option that uh, many people are advocating. Uh, there are, under current antitrust law, there are obstacles. Um, Witnesses that will be after me can probably address that better than I can, but the, the analysis that I have seen and that I think would apply would be that current antitrust law would not uh, prevail in taking them apart because you have to show in order to have an antitrust case that's going to succeed, not just that there is a monopoly or close to a monopoly, and in this case three companies control 97%, but that they are using their power to restrict competition, 
to uh, economically punish other companies and or consumers. Um, that's something that isn't quite fitting the facts here, I don't believe. But uh, if folks were to present such a, an antitrust um, case, challenge, um, that just might happen. But I do believe that with or without the antitrust challenge, I think it's very important for the state of Ohio and other states to stand up for free speech rights wherever uh, they are threatened, with or without antitrust law. Just one more follow-up, if I may, Mr. Chairman. I, I think what this sets, this type of legislation sets is bad precedent, right? It's basically the government telling, uh, taking over a company and telling them how to run it. And I think, aren't you concerned about setting that kind of precedent going forward, that if the government doesn't like the way a business is being run, they can simply come in and take it over and tell them how to run the company? That's basically what you're advocating for here. Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for the question. And I'm glad that you raised that again, because uh, if that is of great concern, that then we should discuss it. Telling a company you can't take away people's unalienable free speech rights, that's basically all this is. I don't consider that taking over a company. I don't consider it telling a company how it should and shouldn't be. But sir, you're, you're asking a company to publish information. Would, would, we, would we allow the witness, yeah. please? Well, I mean, he's misstating question. my position, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, he's misstated my position. Okay, I'm just clarifying my position. Well, I know. Could you, could you let him finish no. and then just let him, uh, you know, uh, restate your position at that point? Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you. I'll, I'll consider that the, the finish of that particular statement. So, uh, yeah, I, I, look, I mean, what you're advocating for is for a company like Facebook or Twitter to publish whatever content anybody chooses to deem, to deem their, appropriate in their eyes. If they've set standards, is that not enough? to give everyone the rules in advance and say, look, we're not going to allow you to publish information that incites violence. That's, why, that's what got President Trump banned from Twitter uh, in the eyes of Twitter. Uh, and, and, and it's their company. They have, a, they have a right to set their sort of ground rules for communication on their platform, don't they? I mean, doesn't Facebook have the right to say you're not going to be allowed to publish information that's wildly inaccurate or incites violence? Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for, for the question. I'll note that even in Section 230 in the Congressional findings, Congress explicitly states uh, that its purpose and desire is to facilitate more open communication on the Internet, on the internet not less. If a company wants to present its own viewpoint, then it's free to do so. But social media platforms existed before Facebook existed. Social media platforms are the primary means by which people communicate with each other. And I think it's extremely dangerous to perhaps our most sacred of unalienable rights, free speech, if we are going to allow a corporation or three corporations working together to capture the 21st century version of the town square and then say, we will permit this speech, but we will not permit that speech based on political point of view or our perspectives. Uh, if, if they are so, if these big tech companies believe so strongly in a particular point of view, well then they can create whatever entity they want to, to say that. They can even as social media platforms say it themselves. But I believe and I think the law uh, clearly would, would be justified in saying that they don't have a right to capture, take over the primary venue for free speech and then use that dominance to shut free speech down. I don't think I got an answer to my question, so I'll just restate it if I may. So Facebook and Twitter have set ground rules, right? I mean, I think we all agree that 
First Amendment rights are important rights. I think we all agree that you're not going to get any debate on that. But we also recognize as Americans, and we, we've come to understand this over uh, centuries of First Amendment litigation, that regardless of your ability to communicate under your First Amendment rights, you don't have the right to scream fire, for example, in a crowded theater, right? We, we all acknowledge that that is a legitimate limitation on people's freedom of speech. So what I'm asking is, doesn't Twitter and, and Facebook or other social media companies have the right to set ground rules? For example, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater house. This is sort of uh, analogous to that. Don't they have that right? Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Representative, thank you for the question. Uh, they do have some rights, rights that are conferred uh, to them under Section 230 regarding excessive violence and sexual obscenity. Uh, but that being the case, uh, the, when you provide an example of yelling fire in a crowded theater, the reason why so many Ohioans are upset about being censored isn't because they're going online and yelling, there's a theater down my street and it's on fire. It's because they say things, for example, like masks aren't that efficient at uh, preventing the spread of COVID, or climate change is not an existential crisis, or uh, I don't believe that vaccines should be compelled uh, for people in this country. Political speech, cultural points of view, uh, those are the types of, uh, of opinions that are sacred uh, in our country, under our Constitution, and those, those violations of those rights are the reason why people are upset. And uh, those are the reason why legislation here in Ohio and elsewhere is being proposed. If Facebook and Twitter would simply, you know, they, they come into state legislatures and say, well, how are we supposed to keep people from uh, threatening people with violence or whatever it may be? Well, they can do that. But the reason why this is an issue is because they're trying to shut down political speech, uh, speech with certain uh, cultural points of views, and that I do not believe they have a right to do that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, through the chair to the uh, witness, um, I'm not running for attorney general, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn one time. Mm -hmm. And I would note that if you look at section 1355.06 in the bill, it specifically points out and that um, it does not restrict unlawful expression, including which includes uh, harassment from an individual or inciting uh, violence. Um, would you concur with that statement? Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you. Yes, um, that uh, the bill as written is not infringing upon uh, those examples, which, by the way, are protected under Section 230. That's why Section 230 exists, specifically and solely targeted for those areas. Uh, Follow-up? To the chair, to the witness. So once again, to be clear then, 230, Section 230 and this piece of legislation, um, they're not competing then? I mean, it allows for it. I mean, can, can, you, can you provide a little bit more clarity on that for some, some members here for the committee? Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for the question. Yes, Section 230 of the Federal Communications Decency Act, it's federal legislation, it does control. But we have to make sure we understand what it says and what it does not say, what it allows and what it does not allow. Section 230 of the Federal Communications Decency Act is targeted for indecent material online, which they define as sexually obscene and excessively violent and also personally harassing. So legislation that says you cannot censor and block people from social media platforms, from the 21st century version of the town square, 
does not contradict Section 230. The two decisions uh, from district judges that uh, have for the moment uh, put, a, put a halt to legislation in Texas and Florida, I uh, should be noted, especially the Florida decision, doesn't even really go there. Uh, it, it, it claims that this is a restriction on free speech rights of other people. In other words, big tech has a free speech right to shut down your free speech. But if and when uh, the federal courts and or the Supreme Court address this legislation, I would be very surprised, although it has been argued that 230 uh, blocks uh, bills like these, I would be very surprised if uh, higher up those same decisions, uh, those types of decisions are rendered. Last follow-up. To the chair, to the witness. Um, and that, that would be why in this piece of legislation that I w w marked down on line one, um, 124, I mean, this wouldn't prevent, if someone is yelling fire, fire, fire in a, in a uh, crowded theater, right, is a uh, famous line from the Supreme Court, uh, you know, this would allow for them to, to take action. So, you know, th this, um, if, if that illegal speech is engaged in, then these lines would allow for them to, um, to go ahead and, and remove that. Uh, isn't, isn't that true? Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for the question. And, and you bring up a very good point because sometimes uh, big tech and its allies will say, well, then people can, uh, they can conspire to commit crimes openly out in public. They can do all these sorts of things that are illegal. We have police. Police can see what's there. And, and in fact, if they're going to use Facebook and Twitter to engage in unlawful activity, they're even more uh, easily identified captured and uh, put in prison or whatever it may be. But the fact is nobody elected or appointed Facebook or Twitter to define what the laws are, to determine what, uh, how to interpret them, and what the consequences for violating them would be. There's nothing in this legislation that enables, empowers people to break the law. Uh, Representative Swearingen with a question. Chairman Hillier, and thank you for your testimony today, sir. So it kind of seems like we're debating whether, you know, what vehicle this is. You know, would Verizon Wireless have the right to shut down conversations between individuals? Um, can, can you hit on that just a little bit more in terms of, um, you, you said this is the modern day town square, this is the modern day way of communicating and what type of world we want to live in uh, when we have large corporate actors saying what we can and cannot say to our loved ones, our friends, or our, our audience. Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for the question. And that's a fantastic question because there have been uh, some people who support big tech's uh, desire to censor speech, political speech, cultural speech, who have gone so far as to say the next step can and should be these same corporations looking at your text messages and blocking, deleting text messages that you send to one another. And again, logically, it would say that why wouldn't Verizon, why wouldn't Ma Bell back in the day, why couldn't they just say, well, we don't believe in this, we don't like that, we can shut it off. People would not have stood for that. People would not stand for it today. And we'll come back to one of the questions about freedom of economics and market. If I were to buy the cell phone tower in my neighborhood, listen to people's conversations and, and shut down everyone I, I didn't agree with, people would rightfully be outraged and I wouldn't be allowed to get away with it. I don't see any reason why, at the same time, 
a small group of large corporations can block, censor speech, political speech, cultural speech, religious speech, whatever it may be, simply because they disagree. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, thank you for this discussion. Um, so you, you talked about the, um, the town square, the public square. If uh, a municipality sold their town square to uh, a big business for them to develop how they want, can that big business uh, prohibit uh, the speech on their property? Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for your question. Um, when I refer to the town square, I'm referring to basically a time of our revolution, the American Revolution, where people gathered in the town square to share ideas. It was a place uh, by which that was a primary means uh, by which people shared ideas. I think, let's say that uh, right now, and people don't gather on town squares to speak, if uh, the city of Columbus wanted to sell a park or whatever else to a, to a corporate enterprise and they were uh, to prohibit certain speech or whatever else, I think that wouldn't be as problematic, especially because uh, there are many, many, many other ways in which people share ideas. And uh, in one particular town park nowadays would not be so. Um, Mr. Chair, follow up. And with regard to social media, aren't there many, many ways that they can share their ideas? They have Facebook, they have Twitter, they have many different platforms uh, to share their ideas. Mr. Chairman, Some are just larger than others. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Representative, uh, thank you for the question. That's a good question, and it's one that when you look at the reality on the ground, there are three corporations that control 97% of social media traffic. Uh, sometimes the big tech uh, advocates will say, well, you can build your own. And, and quite frankly, that was my position until about a year and a half ago when Parler tried doing that. And then Amazon got together with uh, you know, two or three others and shut it down, deplatformed it. Parlor doesn't exist in any way, shape, or form the way it did before. The fact of the matter is, if you are restricting free speech in 97% of social media, you are imposing a very severe infringement on free speech. And again, the reason why governments are instituted among men is to protect our free speech. Mr. Chair, follow-up, um, but you don't have a monopoly. You have multiple large entities controlling those social medias. Uh, so you have Twitter and Facebook competing against each other. Um, so you, you, you just don't have one thing shutting down. Plus, you have uh, a, a slew of, of smaller uh, platforms. Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for that question. Uh, for all practical purposes, there are three corporate entities that control nearly all social media traffic. They have the same mindset. They act in concert with each other. They act in concert with government to shut down free speech. I don't think it can be argued that this is not a severe infringement upon free speech. And if there's an argument that if you go really far out of your way and you might find some small platform and, and you might find five other people who, who are also on that platform, you can say what you want. I would, I would argue, I think it's pretty clear that the Founding Fathers would say that is an infringement on free speech. The fact that you can find some little place, just like if you set up a six by six, six foot by six foot space in the middle of Columbus and said this is your free speech zone and nowhere else, and government says we can restrict speech everywhere but there, but you have free speech, see there's your six by six box, then that would still be a severe infringement upon free speech. And I think the analogy would apply here. 
Mr. Chair, um, with regard to your prior analogy, that does exist when they set up uh, uh, protest uh, or demonstration zones uh, around presidential speeches or, or candidates for president. So that, that does exist already. Uh, but uh, to another question, um, um, so the First Amendment, uh, you keep on talking about free speech. The First Amendment applies uh, to government uh, and its relationship to people. Uh, and it says, government shall not abridge free speech. Is Facebook or Twitter government? Um, Mr. Chairman, Representative, that's a fantastic question. And that's why we have to keep in mind what is written in the Declaration of Independence, where our founding father said that there are certain unalienable rights that pre-exist the formation of government. To protect those rights, governments are formed. Government may not restrict those rights, but government's also set up to make sure nobody else can take away our unalienable free speech rights either. Now, in this case, I would argue that there's a First Amendment violation as well. Every time these, uh, these corporations act in concert with government uh, to restrict free speech, restrict speech that contradicts what government tells us. But even so, that's, that First Amendment issue is, is not the key issue here. The issue is we have unalienable free speech rights that pre-exist government that nobody can take away, either a government or a private entity, just like our property. Government can't come in and take away my television set and my safe, but neither can my neighbors. And governments are set up to protect those, those absolute uh, unalienable rights from all entities. Uh, Mr. Chair, to the witness, can you cite to me a uh, U.S. Supreme Court case that has extended um, the First Amendment uh, to a private entity that uh, wants to uh, dictate uh, what controls on its own private uh, property uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, with regard to free speech? Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Mr. Representative, thank you for the question. Uh, I do not have uh, knowledge of any such decision, but I would also like to make, and it's a very important point, that Again, these rights are free speech rights. Pre-exist the formation of government. Governments are set up to protect them. Our free speech rights did not come into existence because of the First Amendment and solely because of the First Amendment. Our free speech rights are unalienable and they are protected and should be protected from any actors, government or non-government entity. So our free speech rights are not dependent on the First Amendment. The First Amendment emphasizes what government cannot do. Hey, we're, we're serious about this. This is one of those things. But that is not the only place uh, from which we derive our unalienable free speech rights. Uh, Mr. Chair, to the witness. Um, so the society that uh, you're um, dreaming of here is, is scary because what basically what you want to dictate that if I have a megaphone I must allow somebody else who I disagree with to use my megaphone. Uh, and I am deeply concerned uh, with that type of control uh, under your analysis. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Representative, thank you for the question. I would say that your analogy uh, is, is not uh, a close-fitting analogy. What we have is a few corporate actors that took over, that made a decision to enter the space in which people share ideas, take it over, and then restrict speech. I don't have a right to shut down my neighbor's telephone conversations. I don't have a right to buy the cell phone tower in my neighborhood and do it. Uh, and, and I cannot restrict other people from those rights simply because I bought a cell phone tower. The same applies here. If Facebook, if Google, if Twitter, 
If any of these entities want to express their own opinions, they have all sorts of means to doing so. But if you're going to take over social media platforms, the primary venue by which people share ideas, you cannot use that power to shut down free speech. Representative Galonsky with a question, then uh, Representative Swearingen. Thank you to the chair and thank you to the witness uh, for testifying here today. Uh, you've said several times, uh, you've mentioned several times that uh, something has been taken over, but isn't it actually more accurate to say that people actually choose to be a part of these platforms that you're mentioning and that actually no one was ever forced to join Facebook or Twitter or anything else. I, I'm, I'm confused by your statement that something's been taken over when all of the people that are on these uh, websites or excuse me, on these uh, platforms, they have chosen to be a part of it. No one's actually making anyone participate. Isn't that fair to say? Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for the question. That's one that I have turned over in my mind many times before I came to the position that I have, as, as events have developed, that was one of the, 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 the issues is, okay, we have to allow Freedom Markets Association. But what happens here is that you have three corporate entities that control 90% of the market. They do not control 90%, 97% of the market because they say we are going to restrict certain things, we're going to shut down other things, and that's why we gain market share. They provided platforms that are very user-friendly. They gained that market share because they did something totally separate from their desire to shut down speech. And then once they gained that market share, then they used that market share to restrict free speech rights. Our free speech rights are not subject to corporate capture, nor should they be subject to contract between individuals who would shut them down. Just a follow-up, if I might. Thank you to the chair and to the witness. Um, I'm just going to have it reflected here in our record that no one is required to sign up for Facebook, Twitter, or any of these other entities. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I think, I think what we're debating, none of us are judges. We're not in a court of law. We're not adjudicating First Amendment rights or private actors or anything like that. We're in a legislative committee determining whether this is a good thing for the people's government of Ohio to do. I think that's the key point. You, sir, are saying that it is because we don't want to live in a society that's headed for despotism. I mean, we don't want to be controlled every step of the way. And I think we saw that, you know, over COVID restrictions as well. Um, so, you know, if, if you could just maybe clarify the societal good in Ohio that would come from this type of law passing our legislature and upholding individuals' rights that our founders you know, sought for us as elected officials to uphold for the people. Uh, Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for the question. And your question calls to mind as Facebook, as Twitter uh, will censor and prohibit people from questioning what the CDC and government health officials say. So initially, we were told as the pandemic started that you shouldn't buy masks. Masks, if you put on a mask, you're going to be touching it. It does nothing to inhibit the flow of these germs. And in, in fact, you're going to make things worse. Then they turned around and said, well, we were telling you a fib because we didn't want there to be a run on masks and we needed it for doctors. So we lied, but it was for a good reason. 
then they turn around and say that uh, we've been told President Biden says if, if you get the vaccine, you can't spread the virus. Now we're told that you can spread the virus. Uh, we were told that uh, the virus initiated almost certainly in the wild. Now it's pretty clear that it didn't initiate in the wild. All of these things at one time or another, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter Big Tech, have censored and blocked you from saying things that turned out to be true. And the public good is that in exchange of information and even opinions, even supposition, before these things were proven to be true, when they were just in the stage of ideas that people can share, we've always, as a nation, as a freedom-oriented society, acknowledged the wisdom and the truth that the solution, the way we get to truth, is by more speech, by more sharing of ideas. People are innately intelligent and discerning. If we are allowed to share ideas, the truth is much more likely to come out than if we were to say that whether it's government or whether it's three corporations are going to tell us what's right and what's wrong. So there's tremendous benefit in ensuring that the people of Ohio and beyond Ohio are able to share ideas with each other because we're human beings, we should have that dignity and we're intelligent enough to discern what truth will be. We'll have uh, Representative White with the last question and then we're uh, given the interplay with section 230. Uh, um, I think we'll, after uh, a question from Representative White, move on to uh, Attorney Candu. Thank you, Chairman, and um, sir, um, thank you for coming in today. I think one thing I'm wondering about, you're at Michigan State, you've had other experiences, you know, back in the day when people would say, what is truth? People believe Walter Cronkite because he was one of a few that even was giving them information. What percentage of users of social media do you believe had any idea the content, up until recently, that the content they were reading was being censored um, algorithms used to decide, discern what they could and could not see. What percentage of the average American was even aware this was going on? Do you have any idea? Mr. Chairman, Representative, thank you for the question. It's a very good question. And, and of course, this is the period in which these few companies gained such market dominance that they then turned uh, against our, our unalienable free speech rights. It's only been, from my observation, and, and I'm not an expert on this particular topic any more than anyone else in this room, but from my observation, it's been about in the past year and a half or so that uh, these uh, big tech companies have wielded their power to suppress free speech in a way that is unmistakable, in a way that I, 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 we all have different friends on these platforms. I have a Facebook page because if I, if I see somebody in an airport that I haven't seen for many years or someone I just met, find me on Facebook. There aren't any alternatives. And yet on my Facebook friends, I mean every day, blocked, 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 blocked. This didn't happen just a couple of years ago. It didn't, certainly didn't happen when they were gaining their market dominance that they then wielded against the people.